Yesterday, Taylor Swift made history at the 2024 Grammys. She became the first artist to win Album of the Year four times, surpassing Frank Sinatra, Paul Simon, and Stevie Wonder. All I want to do is keep doing this, so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do what I love so much. Mind blown. Thank you so much. Whether you're a fan or not, Taylor Swift is everywhere. And this spring semester, Taylor Swift is also at Harvard. Last week, I spoke with Harvard English professor Stephanie Burt, who's teaching a literature class titled Taylor Swift and Her World. I began by asking Professor Burt if she is a true Swifty or if this is just a fun academic exercise. If I didn't love her music, I would not be teaching the course. Life is too short. There's too many other things I love. I I really care about her music and listen to it a lot. Uh, True Swifty implies a level of knowledge that I hope I have, but I'm certainly aware of people who've been in the fandom and been following her work closely for longer than I have and more assiduously than I have. So I am not the biggest Swifty, but I hope I'm a, a true Swifty. So I want to hear about the course and how you're using, how you're treating Taylor Swift as kind of a literary figure. Songs are a literary art form. They use words. They use words and music. Graphic novels and comics are a literary art form. They use words and pictures. Playwriting, writing stage plays is a literary art form. It uses words and actors moving around on stage and sets and costumes and props. These are all art forms where to see how they work and why they work when they work and how they work on us emotionally. You need to pay attention to how the words fit together with the other things. So we are looking at Taylor as a songwriter. We're going to do Fearless starting next week. The course is arranged chronologically album by album. So when we start listening to some of the music on Fearless, we're going to think about, for example, How You Belong With Me, which Taylor co-wrote with Liz Rose, why you've got that banjo at the beginning, how it works sonically, and also why there are short shorts and short skirts, and why there's cheerleading imagery, and what that does. Okay, so why center a course, a literature course, at Harvard University around a pop figure? You know, it's it's obviously good marketing. 300 people (laughs) signed up for the class. Uh Um, And there have been other courses, Madonna course. Madonna Studies was a thing, yeah. Beyonce course at Arizona Arizona State University. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was your reason for invoking this pop culture icon to talk about all these classical uh, literary figures? So I think about songwriting a lot, and I've wanted to teach a course oriented around this particular literary art form of songwriting of words and music together for some time. And I've wanted to teach a course organized around someone who's a songwriter I love, whose music I think about all the time. But if I organized a course around the, you know, two and a half decade long songwriting oeuvre of Scott Miller from the band Game Theory, like four people would take it. But with Taylor, you have a songwriter I absolutely love who's got a substantial and various enough body of work that you can design a syllabus around it, whose work points to 
other kinds of literature, essays, memoirs, poems, novels, in ways that I find easy to navigate and who also happens to be popular enough that a lot of students want to take the course. Okay, so how do you connect Taylor Swift to these writers from the past? Well, it depends on the writer. Uh, We've got a day when we are looking at Alexander Pope's poem, Epistle to Dr. Arbuthnot which was written in the early 18th century. It is in early 18th century couplets for the page, which work differently from song lyrics, but it is emotionally and thematically very close to a lot of what Taylor is doing. Pope is writing about being famous and having everybody want attention, want his attention. Uh, what does he say? If, if foes they write, if friends they read me dead, they all want to be around him or they all attack him. And he's writing about why he is pushing back against people who attack him, why he feels the need to respond to insults. Uh, Why do I write what seemed to me unknown, dipped me in ink, my parents or my own? And then he segues in the course of the poem into a defense of writing satire and attacking people who are mean to him, which Taylor also does. And then by the end, he's paying tribute to his father, who was super nice to him within the limits of his father's ability, which interacts with Taylor's handful of wonderful songs, starting with The Best Day, about what she owes to Andrea and Scott, to her parents. So there's all this thematic overlap, principally about how you respond to being a frequently attacked and sometimes reviled, famous, envied public figure. So there's some thematic connection between 1989 and Reputation Era Taylor there and Pope. So each one of the literary works we're looking at interacts with what Taylor's doing in a different way, but they all interact with her songbook and her albums. So we're talking to Stephanie Burt, a professor at Harvard, who's teaching a course on Taylor Swift. Yep. And connecting T-Swift with some of the literary giants in the English language. Yeah. I, I want to tell a little story. So in, in prepping for this interview, I have a friend up in Nashua who's a hard rock musician, let's say, a bartender, blue-collar guy. Um, and I wanted to get his opinion on Taylor Swift. This is a Guns N' Roses and a okay. Metallica guy. Um, and surprisingly, he told me that he took his daughter to a Taylor Swift show in Boston a few years ago. And he was expecting to hate it. You know, rolling his eyes, the the pop icon thing um, from a musician's perspective. But he ended up blown away by Taylor's musicianship, all the instruments that she plays, you know, the fact that she writes all her own songs. And then like this hugely creative production of the show. Right. So and he left as a fan. Good. Um, So Taylor Swift, does she transcend pop music, popular culture, say the way Michael Jackson did? I don't like saying that someone transcends pop music or pop culture. That's often a way of devaluing not just the thing they transcend, but the people who are attached to it. And in fact, one of the things we did in the course of this week was to think about the relativity of taste and the way that descriptions of taste generate intentionally or unintentionally an in-group or an out-group, a less prestigious group and a more prestigious group, one of the things that Taylor is doing is demonstrating the breadth of pop form songwriting. But another thing that she's doing lyrically and in her relationship to her fans is saying 
don't be ashamed of something just because it seems like it's for girls. You don't have to repudiate whatever less prestigious kind of person you used to be as you broaden your horizon or change your position in culture. Okay, I, I want to switch gears a little bit. Gear is being switched. Taylor Swift has been in the news. She has. In recent days. She has. Um, largely because of her political advocacy, but also her yeah. relationship to NFL player Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Um, there's a clip from the Miss Americana documentary on Netflix. Yeah. came out a few years ago. Yes. It's in your syllabus. It is. At Harvard. So you, you'll, you'll hear Taylor arguing with her dad about whether she should be making uh, public political statements. Yep. So by the way, this was in 2018 yeah. when there was a Democratic uh, candidate for Senate running against a Republican who was a big ally of President Trump at the time. And this is in uh, Tennessee, which was is one of the places where Taylor Swift owns a home. So you'll hear from Swift, then her dad, then her mom. We've not got involved with politics or religion. Yeah, but this is on the home front. And also, back in the presidential election, I was in such a horrendous place that I wasn't going to pop my head out of the sand for anything. Why would you? I mean, does Bob Hope do it? Did Dean Crosby do it? Does does Nick Jackson do it? Come on. No, what I'm saying right now is... Bob Hope and Dean Crosby. These aren't your dad's celebrities, and these aren't your dad's Republicans. Imagine... Now, there are reports that President Biden is going after Taylor Swift's endorsement. Um, how do you tackle this level of influence that Taylor Swift has in your class? So not just in the art world, but on elections, on democracy. I mean, democracy needs all the help it can get. Uh, and one of the things that you see in that clip from Miss Americana is a generational divide that is also a sea change in American politics where if you have an interest in the preservation of the rule of law, which has you know never been perfect, has always been super flawed, but something like the rule of law in the United States, you kind of have to take sides now. And I don't know that that felt like it was true in 2002 or 1992. So she's... What she's saying seems to me now to be common sense. These aren't your dad's celebrities. These aren't your dad's Republicans. We are a class that is about works of art and the history of art forms and artists and their audiences. We are not a class about the American political system. But when, I mean, if, if you can't tell by my pronouns and my voice, I'm a trans woman. This isn't just a class on Taylor Swift. This is a class that happens to be taught by me. And I don't know that that the class can completely stay out of politics when the person who's teaching the class is de facto legally barred by, you know, today's MAGA Republicans from entering several states. And so it just seems like common sense that Taylor want to make her influence known. Now, a thing that we're studying and a thing that is interesting to me and that is is less intuitive is how careful she has been about making endorsements, how much from the beginning of her career to right now, she does not want to alienate people unnecessarily. She wants to be seen as inclusive, 
she is quite aware that some of her fans live in households with people who are not her fans. I'm sure and some of Taylor Swift's fans I'm are sure Trump some of fans them, as well. I'm sure some of them look are. the other way when she talks about supporting I'm, Democratic politicians. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of them are. And, you know, some of my friends are Ezra Pound fans. That's, that's okay to, you know, be a fan of someone whose politics you don't share. But she has been so careful not to alienate everybody and to be a model of inclusion right up to the point where it seemed like an emergency and she had to say something. Something that has somewhat surprised me over the course of the last week has been the extent to which the American right is making it easy for her, if she wants to do that, to make her views known and to say not just please vote, but I would prefer it if you, you know, voted for the candidates who do not wish to outlaw my friends. Because it's one thing if Taylor says, you know, I have some opinions. It's another thing if, if Taylor says, this famous person's campaign has made me a target and has started a fight with me. So you're already starting to see that happen, the Donald Trump supporters attacking Taylor Swift. I was for truly surprised. What could be a, a Joe Biden endorsement. Yeah. I, I, and, that could, yeah. and that could help Joe Biden, you're uh, arguing. It, I mean, it's not going to hurt. It, it's, it's not going to hurt. Um, you know, as someone who is very personally affected by what the White House does and what Congress does, uh, I, I have I hope a very obvious preference here. And um, I had some interest in how Taylor would negotiate the wish not to alienate anyone and the wish to remain a model of tolerance and inclusion, which she has really been trying to do as a public figure. And then the feeling, which we saw in the documentary from 2018, that sometimes you got to say something. I had honestly thought that the Trump campaign people had uh, more political savvy than to pick a fight with Taylor Swift. I want to ask you uh, one more question. Um, Go ahead. Ra- wrapping yeah. up here. Okay. Um, Taylor Swift has an interesting relationship with the term feminist, right? Yes. So she distanced herself from er- earlier in her career from, mm-hmm. from the word feminist. Um, now identifies as one, I believe. Mm-hmm. How do you talk about Taylor Swift and gender with your students at Harvard? A lot. Gender is fascinating, and it interacts with word choice, with voice literally, with the concept of voice figuratively, with audience. Gender is everywhere and is interesting. And one of the things that Taylor has been doing almost throughout her career, you can be several different kinds of feminine. And you can be a cis straight woman who really places a high value on smooching the right guy and still be empowered from that position and be an ally for other women. She sings about that and she makes musical choices often that reflect that, especially later in her career. I think that's great. I think it's worth studying. I think it is interesting to see who it often unintentionally leaves out Uh, And we look at her alongside people who are doing kinds of feminism and ways of doing gender that are specific to people of color and to women of color. We look at all of those things. So I absolutely see what she's doing as not the only kind of feminism that we can have or should have, but as a kind of feminism that I wish to celebrate. That was Stephanie Burt, English professor at Harvard College, on the course Taylor Swift and Her World. 